Modaresi Tirani, you're watching HuffPost Live. Emmy Award winner Jeremy Piven stars as an American retail magnate in London on the hit PBS series Mr. Selfridge, and he's gearing up for its fourth and final season. Take a look at this. Thank you for coming. I think we uh, got off on the wrong foot the other night at Victor's. I'm curious about your business. I hear you're making quite a name for yourself. Something about uh, a big theater deal. Why didn't you ask me to your club? <laughs> I'd like to meet people here. Will they let me in? Or would they say, Mr. Selfridge, sir, not here? Not one of them. They would let you in if you were with me. When I first came here to London, I was an outsider. An American upstart, and they called me a shopkeeper. It wasn't a compliment. I know what it's like to have doors not open for you. You have to fight. But sometimes you can pick the wrong fight. Oh, it gets emotional. And Jeremy joins me now. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So, fourth, fifth, uh, sorry, fourth and final season. Uh, was it sad to close the doors? It, it was sad, but you have to understand, uh, you know, being a Brit and, and growing up there and observing pop culture, you've been here for four years, right? Yes. I've been stalking you, so that's yeah. why I know that. Um, they they do television differently. They um, with us it's it's a little bit more can be more of the great unknown in terms of you know we'll shoot a pilot and then figure out the rest of the show. And over there in the UK, they really have a blueprint in terms of how the show is going to play out. Harry Selfridge was was a, was a real man that. Uh, made his bones in Chicago, went over in 1908 to London and basically invented the department store and shopping didn't exist. And uh, the trajectory of his life was, was, was fascinating and such fertile ground. And I, I knew that I wanted to do it. They uh, mapped out four seasons. That's what we wanted to do. And we did everything that we could. So it's not, I, I, I felt like, I felt really proud as opposed to being sad. Mm. And also, you know, I was gone for almost, for four years, and I missed my American sports. And <laughs> well, you've got to keep your priorities straight, haven't you? <laughs> forget the, you know, forget the London culture and the arts, you missed your American sports. I, listen, I saw every play that I possibly could. I saw Benedict Cumberbatch do Hamlet. And How was he? He was great. He was, I took my mother and my sister and I, and we're all theater people. Um, we have the, you know, the Piven Theater. And, um, we loved it, and it was brilliant, and he was incredible. I saw Othello there. Um, a guy named Rory Kinnear played Iago, and listen, we, I was filming every day. I was starring in producing a television show, so I couldn't go out every you night. You were a little busy, though. I was a little busy, but I loved the culture, and I also went to school in London. I went to the National Theatre of Great Britain and studied Shakespeare, and um, I like to talk about myself a lot. Have you noticed that? It's very awkward. <laughs> well, yeah, it's an interview. I mean, I'm yes. here to talk about you, Jeremy. It's all about you. Okay. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, a, it's curious because, you know, like you say, you were there for four years. And did you feel, not necessarily like British, because obviously, you know, it's a little bit difficult to, to shed yourself of your American identity. But did you feel that you had assimilated a little bit more? Do you feel like you picked up parts of the culture that maybe at some points had been foreign to you? Um... I'd always been fascinated by the culture, and uh, and I loved I loved being there, and I felt really at home, for instance, with the cast because we it was just there. It's interesting because I think we can really learn from each other's cultures in a way that we have this kind of um, you know American ambitious. Uh, 
attitude that allows us to kind of be to kind of throw ourselves into things where the Brits, it's more of a tough love situation where if you say to your parents, I want to be an actor, well, they say you have to go about it in the proper way. You have to go to drama school and do all the rites of passage and like that, and you're probably not going to make it. Whereas over here, they're going to say, you could do anything you put you set your mind to. Yes, there, right? there, there definitely is that sort of cultural difference where the Americans, I feel like, are born with this idea you can do anything. Yeah. Whereas the Brits, we're, we're a bit more self-deprecating. So the, you've, you've mastered the art of self-deprecation, that's for sure. And I think we can both learn from each other. And, and I, being over there and, and you know, play, doing Mr. Selfridge and playing off these actors, each one of them was overqualified for their roles. And they were just, they were genius. And it was, I, whatever game I have was raised because of them. And it, it's such an incredible, it's a show that I'm really, really proud of. And each year I think the show got better. This season starts in, in 10 years on from where we left Terry Selfridge, and it's in the late 1920s, kind of at the end of the Roaring Twenties, and it's where Harry gets into a lot of trouble. He falls for these two American socialites, the Dolly sisters, and they take him for a couple hundred pounds, a couple hundred million pounds, I should say, <laughs> back in the day. You could right, the equivalent, yeah. Yeah, the equivalent of $800 million today. Um, he, he was kind of their bank, and he loved their their energy and youth and everything, and he got into a lot of trouble. Well, I know that particularly for you, and I don't know whether or, you know, you tell me if you think it's because of a, a sort of throwback to your entourage days, but Mrs. Selfridge is a little bit of a womanizer. Some people classify him as such. And yes. people like to try and connect the dots and say, oh, you know, this has got to be something from within you, the actor, and not just the character. What do you think when people try and, and join those dots? Well, Is it I, true? Well, I think I think they're they're trying to to join those dots because, um, you know, I think first of all, when any human being is is working on their lowest vibrational level, I'm going to get really deep here for a second. I think people like to gossip and they like to look for the lowest common denominator, and I think it's our job as actors to fully inhabit the characters and to not judge them ever, no matter. No one, is a de no one is the devil in their own story. So if you're playing a bad guy, you can't for a moment judge them. You have to just be as present as possible and navigate through, through those eyes with as much integrity as possible. And I did that for eight seasons on Entourage, and I did that for four seasons with Mr. S Mr. Selfridge. So if someone, anyone, uh, confuses you for the character, then, you know, it's it's part of the territory, you know. Um, is it kind of flattering in a weird way because that means that you've you've played the part convincingly, or? Well, it's fl it's flattering um, when you play a abrasive douchebag and you're mistaken for one. Um, it is indeed flattering and yet confusing, <laughs> if that makes any sense. <laughs> it does make yeah. some sense. <laughs> so, so, well, I mean, because your family, I know that your, uh, you know, Adam McKay, for example, uh, your brother-in-law, he yeah. he says, and he said this, you know. Repeatedly, because I guess he gets asked the question, you know, is, is Jeremy the douchebag we imagine him to be? Yes. Um, and, and he says no. And we're imagining you're not paying your brother-in-law to say that. Uh, there's, there's a shot of Adam. Adam uh, is, a, is a brilliant uh, father, husband, and writer, director, creative person who um, he speaks the truth as he knows it and always has and, and, and wanted to make the big short because he wanted to get the truth out. Um, and he never expected that he would win the Oscar, and uh, and, and and he uh, he means that. Um, he's a very humble guy. So, yeah, I, I know Adam as you know. I'm Uncle Jeremy to his daughters, to 
to Pearl and Lily Rose, who we took to uh, a viewing party for the Oscars, and he pointed out after, in his in his brilliant speech, uh, you know, said hello to to Lily Rose and to Pearl, and then I asked them what it felt like, and Pearl had was already past it. She was, she was, you know, just more consumed consumed with. Is there a pool? You know, she wanted to jump in the pool at that point. That's amazing. This like seminal television moment. Yes. Height of you know someone's career, your father's career, and she's saying, "Where's the swimming pool?" Yes. Uncle Jeremy, can I play in the swimming pool? Exactly. That's the way life is. That, that's Someday <laughs> she'll look back and go, ah, "That was really cool." But my, it's humbling, though. My dad though, said my name way. on television. It is humbling, and and he's a great father, and those kids are amazing. Oh, because we're all just people at the end of the day, aren't we? And that's the thing. No, we're not people at the end of the day. We are... A what are we then? What are we? We are uh, defined by our achievements. <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> okay, that, well, I mean, it's kind of... Well, it's interesting that you, the way that people respond to you and, and react to you, because, you know, you, I think you've, you were thrust into people's consciousness with this character and entourage. And, yes. And then, you know, obviously you've, you've blossomed and, and gone on to do many different things since. And, People like to interact with you. It seems like you like to interact with them back as well. On Twitter, you've got a huge Twitter presence. I think it's over 2.6 million Twitter followers. You seem to be very engaged. Like you, you do tweet people back a lot. Yeah, it's it's fun. Adam got me into Twitter a million years ago. He he knew that it was going to blow up, um, and I was really never that guy. And he, boy, was he right. And I, you know, I have a, a a little bit of a presence on Instagram and Facebook and all this kind of stuff. The reality is. Mr. Selfridge is, is a show that I'm ridiculously proud of, and yet we're on PBS. And um, we were talking earlier, one of the, one of the variables that M Mr. Selfridge was sold to 165 countries, which is more than Downton or Entourage or any of these things, and yet people are still wondering about it in the States, is because in today's day and age, you need to have advertising to cut through the noise. And PBS has no money because they're publicly funded. And so, you know, here I am, I have to be a one-man show. And so I have to get on Twitter and, and really kind of get the word out myself. To sell it, basically. I'm selling it. And yet, I'm sorry to interrupt no, you. No, we'll but go, go, go for no, it. No, what, what's, what's really kind of ironic about that is Harry Selfridge, back in the day, was the first person to truly believe and execute advertising and self-promotion. He was a guy that like would take out full-page ads in the Daily Mail. No one was doing that. And he was a, a man-made celebrity. He was there at 9 a.m. every morning with his pocket watch. People could come and see the great Harry Selfridge and go to his shop. And yet, here we are in, in our country um, and where he's from uh, on, a, on a network that doesn't advertise because they can't. Bless them. I couldn't be more proud to be on PBS, and I grew up watching them. Um, but it's a miracle if you can cut through the noise on that station. Had Mr. Selfridge been on HBO, for example, mm -hmm. what do you think would have changed in I would terms be too of the busy American to, reception? I, I'd be too busy to talk to you. My show would be That's such a, a hit, I would not even be... No, if it was on uh, HBO, HBO is, is, is just... I was on there for almost a decade with, with Entourage, and man, you're everywhere. And they really, you know, they go out of their way to get the word out, and they do a really great job. What if Mr. Selfridge had been on something like Amazon Prime or Netflix? Because I feel like, again, you know, they, they're sort of cutting through noise in a way that, obviously they have budgets and in, in, in a way that PBS doesn't, but it seems that people, audiences are kind of flocking to these new distribution models. Do you think that that would have worked? 
to, to kind of get the buzz going in, in America? Because it's extremely popular in the UK, Mr. Selfridge. Um, you've got uh, Amazon Prime has original programming like Transparent, the great Jeffrey Tambor, who, uh, you know, I was so lucky my first, like, big gig was on the Larry Sanders show. And I swear to you, when I would do scenes with Jeffrey Tambor, my entire focus, my point of concentration was to not laugh because he was that good. So literally, I had to throw away everything and anything. And, and I'm so proud of him. He's one of these guys who's just so, uh, he's such a, a brilliant actor and so prolific. I don't know how old he is, it doesn't matter. He's, my sister's actually directing him at this moment on an episode of Transparent, go figure. That's very cool. Uh, it all comes around to, to Shira Piven. Um, so that was a, 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 a brilliant experience for me. And so, trans, so um, Amazon Prime has brilliant original programming. Netflix opened with House of Cards. You know, I mean, w you couldn't have a better introduction. So they're doing brilliantly. And, and I think it's, it, what's great is the whole landscape has changed. People watch television differently. The cool thing about Mr. Selfridge right now, it's a good segue, right, is that um, people can watch the first three seasons binge watch it, and then begin with season four, and you can get it on Amazon Prime and iTunes, and we start uh, March 27th on PBS. Which is very cool. I've got a comment from uh, Kathy Barr, who's my aunt. She's watching. She's obsessed. <laughs> she's a real, I have to say, she's really obsessed with Mr. That's Selfridge. Genius. She says, was really sorry when Mr. Selfridge finished. Uh, have you watched it since it started? So have you kind of gone back to watch it? And are you going to be doing any more filming in the UK for other projects? I, I would love to go back to the UK and film or do, do a play there, anywhere, West End, anything. Um, I had a great time there, and I think next time I'm going to make sure that I have a little less responsibility just so that I can go to a museum during the day, you know, so, um, and, to, and find a little bit more balance there. Um, but yeah, I would, go, I would go back there in a heartbeat. I had an incredible time. If you could do something on the West End, what would it be? Would you, would you do Shakespeare again? Shakespeare would be amazing, you know. Um, after after seeing uh, Rory Kinnear play Othello, I don't think anyone could do it better. But I, it just it made me want to play that role so badly. Uh, what a, what a genius role! So it'd be fun to go and do Othello there, or you know, I'm 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 totally open. That's pretty cool. Uh, well, I've got another comment from Ronan Barry Morin who says, "Jeremy, once one watches Mr. Selfridge, they're hooked." So you have a lot of fans. I, I mean, the fact that it was already written to be a sort of a four-season show. Yeah. Can you ever imagine reprising it again? Would you do sort of a, a special? I mean, the UK, they're big on Christmas specials. You know, we did, as you know, the UK are huge on, on uh, uh, what was it called? Tech Santa. Um, they're on a whole nother level. So we did a Christmas special. Um, and it's basically all the charities there kind of form into one. And we, we shot with Downton and George Clooney and all these people. We did a big Christmas kind of special to raise money for all the different charities in the UK. So I would, I would go back and do something fun like that again or, or whatever's right. I mean, I am Jewish, but you throw it all away for, for charity, right? <laughs> yes. I'll put on the Santa costume. Be, be a Jewish Santa Claus, whatever's right. I kind of th I think people would pay to see that. They would. They would give money to charity to see you. Yes, indeed. As Jewish we're, Santa. We're, yes, with with a yarmulke, <laughs> yes. and yet he's still Santa. Be red with you know some embellishment. Yeah, why not? Yes. Yeah. You'd be fancy. I think so.
take it Sh- to another level. Show them Santa's trapdoor. Yeah. <laughs> we, we can't go there, Jada. No, go we can't there. even go there. No. I don't even know what you've done. <laughs> People are watching. It's a family show, Jeremy. I don't even know what you're saying. You mentioned your family, actually. Segue. Yes. Uh, Aunt Catherine has, again says, do you think that having parents in the industry helped or hindered you? Well, it's funny when they people are like, oh, your parents are in the business, they're in the industry, and uh, that's not the, even the way I see it. Um, grew up in the theater, and um, they were my acting teachers from the time I was a kid, and I was never pressured into it, and uh, I'm here today because of them. So uh, whatever the antithesis of being hindered <laughs> by my parents being um, creative, uh, souls, uh, you know, I'm, I was I was very lucky um, to to have the family that I have. Do you feel a sort of um, either a unique, you're uniquely placed, or a responsibility to nurture new talent? Then, because your parents were kind of in the business of helping nurture talent, uh, do you yeah. feel that sort of same bug is is in you as well? Well, I mean, whenever anyone asks me a question, I just love to engage and. Um, there have been times on set where uh, you know I've been with people who are a little kind of newer to to you know acting, and uh, I love being able to help people, and uh, I would love to to direct and um, and and help in any way possible. Uh, you know, my mother is doing an intensive acting class right now in L.A., staying with me and my sister, and she's very active at the Piven Theater. We're looking for to build a new theater right now, and. I just remember like them being so excited by the progress of their students and the success of their students. And there's an old saying, another person's success will never take away from your own. And I just, I, was, I, I didn't learn that as a, as a theory. I saw it you know, being practiced by my parents. So I think that's one of the, the, the best rules that you can live by. Because I think in this society, you know, where you're sidetracked and distracted by the amount of likes or comparing your career to someone else's, none of us are ever going to be at the same place in our lives or careers as anyone else. So none of that will serve us. Does that help you in in Hollywood, you know, having that sort of attitude? Because one imagines it's quite cutthroat and, and a difficult place sometimes to navigate. It, it is a very strange place to navigate, and that's why everyone doesn't do it. I mean, you spend so so much of your time auditioning and going into rooms, and it's and you know there's an old saying, don't you know, don't take it personally. And the reality is, your do your work is so personal, and you're getting on one knee and basically proposing every time you walk into a room, and they're like, thank you, no, it's just you're just not right for us. Thank you, we actually won't be calling you, and then you have to kind of go on your way, and it it does toughen you up. Um, and the only thing that will get you through all that is the love of doing it. Um, and I, you know, I was lucky enough to be on the stage and so to have a connection with it. So you go through all of that to get back to that feeling of performing. And you jump through all those hoops because of it. But I can't imagine not having a reference for how good it feels to actually perform and connect with that mm. and to have to go through all that, that torture. What was the most brutal proposal that you were told no, thank you. Excellent question, first of all. I remember I was auditioning for a war movie, and my character was a prisoner of war, and I had this very long, heavy speech. And um, the character's on a train, and it's just really heavy stuff. And I remember doing it, and um, right after I was done, the casting director said, 
Um, first of all, can I swear on Huffington you Post? You can, you can, can swear indeed, yes. Okay, um, <laughs> good to know. She, I got done with my monologue, and um, I'm usually not a take one guy. I'm usually take two, three, whatever. I need to warm up and do it. Um, but I got lucky, and I felt like, wow, okay, that was something. And I got done with this very long monologue, and she goes, okay, let's go again without the bullshit. <laughs> and I went, well, I'm sorry, what? And she goes, without the bullshit. So I go, okay, without the bullshit. The tears that were coming out of me, and that was organic, and that's what I do for a living, but yet you say it's bullshit. I will go again. I will go again. What would you like me to do? And then she's like, just pace, speed, energy, no bullshit. <laughs> so no, so take the humanity out, even though I'm a prisoner of war, and I've been tortured. Uh, and bullshit you get, being your very tears. Yeah, the tears. The sweat and the tears from your performance. Correct. But then I remember it being on stage growing up one time, and uh, they had forgotten to sand the chair, and the, I had this big M in the back, and literally it came up and sliced into my head and came out the other side, and I was in whiteface. We were performing like... Wait, the chair went through your face? Yes. And I pulled it out, and I'm in whiteface because it was the Commedia dell'arte style, and I remember the blood hit the first couple rows, and it was coming down my face, and it looked worse than it was. It was bad. A head wound does that, if you uh, cut you, your head. You bleed a lot from your head, indeed. And um, I, after the, the scene was over, I ramped, went back and had my face wrapped up and put an eye patch on. Came back on just improvised this line, you know, that's the last time I tried gardening. Because the character kind of, I was playing Methuselah, a 900-year-old. Okay, man. I'm glad you, yeah. I'm glad you clarified. Because I, I was like, wait, where's the voice? The voice is weird. Was I mean, it's, yeah, and I was playing a 900-year-old man. Um, and afterwards, because we were doing two shows that day, uh, I asked. There were some people there, and there's a doctor in the house, and, and he stitched me up. And then I went and did the second show. But I asked people what they thought of the show, and there's some people that are like, no, it was good. It was good. I, I didn't, I didn't buy the blood, but it was good. And I'm thinking. Okay, that's interesting, and I, I didn't say anything, but then I thought, okay, I just bled on them, and they didn't buy the blood that was coming out of my body. So, okay, it's just interesting. You can't, you really can't take anything personally. You can't you, please everyone either by the sounds of things. You can't, you can't. You just gotta do your thing and, 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 and move on. From blood to Santa's back door to yes. Mr. Selfridge. Yeah. Jeremy, it's been a pleasure. It has been a pleasure. <laughs> thank you so much. Absolutely. Uh, for coming on in. And uh, guys, thank you very much for watching as well. Make sure you check out the fourth and final season of Mr. Selfridge. When it premieres, it's March 27th on PBS. And as Jeremy said, you can go on Amazon Prime and you can binge watch the first three seasons. Uh, and to find out more about Jeremy and, of course, his work and his huge social media following, click on the links in the resource world below. And stick around. More we'll Post Live coming up next.